uh, go ahead and talk to your neighbor and tell them, I came to hear a word today. And I'm going to hear it. <laughs> Good. Well, years ago, uh, you might not know this uh, about my life story, um, I had an interim season of my life where God really got a hold of my heart. It was, in fact, through an invitation of my sister. You see, my family had attended a home church, which a church that I would eventually end up working at, but there was an interim period where I didn't really walk with the Lord anymore, where my parents' faith wasn't my faith. And I needed a, a, a impact or an encounter with God, and that happened through an invitation of my sister. She was attending a church that was a Spanish-speaking, Hispanic church, and she was really excited about it. The youth group was in English, which was very helpful for me, as Spanish is my second language, and we would have such a wonderful time together. It was the kind of situation where the youth were just on fire for Jesus, and we saw so many things happening during that time of God just really restoring people and bringing people to the Lord, including myself. That was my time in my life where I took the things of God seriously and I gave my life over to Jesus. But there was some negatives as well. You see, for some of the peers in this church, I used to get made fun of. And now I know you look at me and you think to yourself, what, how could somebody ever make fun of Pastor Kevin? He is just so handsome and athletic and good at everything that how can anybody ever make fun of him? And, of course, that's a joke, right, guys? Well, I used to get made fun of, and I would be called this term that I'm sure some of you have heard before, and it's called being a gringo. Anybody ever heard this word before, gringo? And uh, the layman's uh, idea of this term is just basically being a white guy, being American, being, being something in that category. Because, you see, for these Hispanic people, they saw me a little bit different than them. And uh, because of that, I, I used to get made fun of for being a gringo. And there was this one guy, we'll call him Juan, I won't say his real name, and Juan used to make fun of me more than anybody else that I ever knew in this church. And you see, the thing about Juan is, is that Juan had a very, very thick Hispanic-Cuban accent. I mean, it sounded like he just came to America and started learning the English language for the first time because it was heavy. There was no way that you couldn't look at one and think to yourself, this guy wasn't Cuban because he just walked and talked that way. Well, one day uh, we decide to invite Juan to visit my abuela's house. So we drive down an hour to a town called Fort Lauderdale and we're so excited to have lunch because if you don't know about Hispanic families, abuelas can make dinner and lunch like no other. I mean, there's just this magic that comes through the pan when abuela makes food. So abuela's making us food, and my grandma doesn't speak English very well, so you typically have to communicate with her in Spanish. And to this day, I have to call her, and when I call her, I speak in Spanish. Hola, abuela, ¿cómo estás? And we talk to each other in Spanish. So assuming that one spoke Spanish 
because he had the accent, he looked the part, my grandma starts speaking to him in Spanish. When all of a sudden there's a great pause in the whole entire room, and everybody's looking at Juan, and we're all very confused, and we find out that Juan does not speak Spanish. (laughs) And I, at that moment, start bursting out in laughter as I've felt offended over all of the nicknames that had come my way of being the Hispanic gringo when this guy doesn't even speak Spanish. So I start pointing at him, and I say, are you kidding me this whole time? You're making fun of me? And you don't even speak Spanish? And you sound like that? And he was totally embarrassed. And I was ever the part and satisfied just from this moment. But it was a funny story for me of being offended and then yet feeling vindicated in my own offense. Well, today we're going to be looking at a different story of offense. We're going to be continuing in the life of Joseph. And to do that, I want us to turn to Genesis chapter 39. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 6 today. So God's word says in Genesis 39, verse 1, Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who is one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, brought him from the Ish- bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. So a little bit of context, if you happen to miss a week, Joseph's brothers, who who were very offended over their father's favoritism, decided to get back at Joseph. So they threw him into an empty cistern and were going to kill him when they saw a caravan of people coming by and instead decided to sell their brother into slavery. And then from doing that, they came up with a plan to lie to their parents and convince their parents that Joseph was actually killed by an animal. So from verse 1, we're seeing that Joseph has now arrived in the land of Egypt and a man by the name of Potiphar, who had a very prominent role in Egypt, had bought Joseph to be a slave within his own household. But what's interesting here is who ends up selling Joseph to Potiphar? If you didn't notice, it says in in verse 1 there that the Ishmaelites, the Ishmaelites sold Joseph to Potiphar. Well, if you've read the book of Genesis, you would know that Abraham, who is the father of the Jewish people, who Joseph and his family actually come from, had two boys. One of those boys was Isaac, and the other one was who? Ishmael. So it's interesting that we see how sins are being multiplied. Because you see, Ishmael was a child that was born to Abraham out of wedlock. They were trying to force God's promise 
by having Ishmael, and because of that, it created a whole bunch of turmoil in the family, so much so that Ishmael and his mother were banished from the family. So here you have the descendants of Ishmael selling their cousin, whether they knew it or not, into slavery. So again, we see how sin oftentimes multiplies at compound interest. But we'll keep on reading here through verse 2 and 4, through 4. It says this, The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered, and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When the master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household and he entered or entrusted to his care everything he owned. Now, I don't know about you, but I have a question to ask, and that is, how would you respond to being betrayed by your brothers, stripped of your clothes, thrown into a well, sold by your distant cousins, into slavery, in a land that you've never been to, to a gentleman that you do not know, how would you respond to that? The answer is, is probably not in a good way, right? I'd likely, if I were to be honest with myself, have a terrible attitude. Why? Because I oftentimes have a worse attitude for very, very minor things. When I get offended, it's easy, and it's probably easy for all of us to have a bad attitude, right? I mean, we can get so upset that if a a team of ours that we like, a baseball team or a football team, loses a game, that it can even create a dark cloud over our homes for those things. But yet, Joseph is here in the worst of what many would call bad situations, and how is his attitude? How does he respond to the troubles that he is going through? It says in these scriptures that he works hard to do well in these situation in this situation that he's in. Now don't get me wrong, slavery is an evil 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 thing. But yet despite this evil situation, Joseph found himself that that he found himself in, he chooses to maintain his character and apply himself now, if you ask Joseph, Joseph, are you justified in this great offense that was done to you? Without a doubt, it would be easy to say that there is no world in which this was fair for Joseph, that this was the right thing for him to trouble through at the hands of his own brothers, that he is justified in being angry, upset, and offended at what happened to him. But yet he does not allow this situation to taint his own character. The question and kind of the thought that I want to bring to your own mind is how do you deal with the injustices of your own life? How do you deal 
with offense when you become offended. You see, I think oftentimes what ends up happening for most of us is that many of us turn our offense in a reason to be angry, as reasons to be angry towards God, right? We become upset over our situation. We wonder why he allowed it. We call his goodness into question. But what does Joseph do? He does not allow his circumstances to excuse bad behavior. Now that should speak to us. Because I think if we're honest with each other, we oftentimes will use the negative situations that we go through in our lives as a reason to have a chip on our shoulder. Now, when I was going through my master's program at Denver Seminary, it was a tough time because the workload was was pretty intense, uh, but I was really grateful for a particular job that I had. I got to work in pre-K as a pre-K teacher at a local Christian school in Inglewood, and it was a fun job, but if I were to be honest, it was the professional equiv- equivalent of being a cat herder, because that's about what it felt like trying to get these kids to do anything. But it was really a wonderful opportunity and a time in my life where I got to train little ones up in the Lord, because I got to teach the Bible to them, so they were a good audience to, to try to uh, encourage in the faith, because here's the thing, if you can't uh, keep and maintain the attention of a four-year-old, you know, that's a really good skill to be able to learn, let alone adults, so it was a really great practicing ground to be able to try to encourage in simple terms what it means to have faith, to love the Lord. Uh, and it was also just a fun time to be able to teach kids the ABCs and one, two, threes and things like that. Uh, but oftentimes what would happen, especially during playtime, is a little kid would come up and, for instance, Jackson would be crying because Brandon had hit him. And I would ask the question, well, what happened? And Jackson would say that Brandon hit me. And Brandon would say, well, he took the toy that I wanted. And even as a little four or five-year-old, we experience firsthand how we justify bad behavior over the things that we feel offended by, right? How much more do we do that as adults when things don't go our way? When we feel slighted by life, by individuals, by God himself, do we use that as a reason to have poor behavior? You see, I think one of the things that we can draw from, from this story, is how in some ways to avoid victimhood. You see, I believe that there can be dangers with victimhood. Now, Pastor, you might be saying to me, Pastor Kevin, what do you mean by that? I have good reasons to feel offended in life, and that might be the case. But you see, victimhood 
Forming victimhood in your life can be a great poison to your heart. I believe that in some ways it can put yourself in a prison of hurt. Because you see, to, rem- be rem- to remain a victim in life means to never forget your pain and to feel like others in the world owe you something. If they don't give you what you are owed, you grow in contempt for life and others. We need to be careful to not let our identities be formed around the offenses that have been given to us in life, however justified those offenses may be. Now, this is where I know I'm stepping on some toes. Because we live in a world and in a culture that has adopted victimhood as an identity and as a way of life. Where people like to be the victims and will become a victim for almost everything. My soup was not hot enough. I was not treated appropriately in this situation. You don't know the pain that I have suffered. And all of those things can be true, and some of them are terrible things that have happened in this world, of ways that people have lorded their power to harm other people, people groups, individuals, whatever it might be. But yet, victimhood, remaining a victim, could be a very dangerous state of affairs. Because without realizing it, what you are doing in that situation is you are allowing yourself in some ways to define your world by your own pain. You are not allowing yourself to in some ways release the harm that has been done to you. Now, there is something to be said about that, the harm that has been done to you. Romans 12, 19 through 21, which I'll put on the screen here, reminds us, in my opinion, of the kind of posture that we should have in dealing with evil that is done to us or even straight up evil people. It says in verse 19, do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room, leave room, that's a good phrase to underline, for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to take avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. And I love this, and if it's not underlined in your Bible, it probably should be. Do not overcome evil, pardon me, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Say that last part with me, overcome evil with good. Now this is radical, let's face it, right? Do you really know people who take this on for themselves? Most people in our society, and if we're honest with ourselves, even us at times, we choose to overcome evil with what? Evil. Very seldomly do we actually choose to overcome evil with good. 
In this verse that the Apostle Paul is trying to remind us as he writes to the people in Romans, he's trying to remind us of the importance of realizing that vengeance is God's. Now, this is, should in some ways encourage you. It should encourage you to know that there will come a time and a place, whether it's in this life or the next, where the Lord will take his avenge. Well, he will avenge the things that we have done wrong. That's terrifying, right? If we feel like we've done a lot of wrong things. But it's also comforting in some ways to know that God sees everything that we are going through in life. And in some ways, it should free us to be able to say, you know what? I don't need to get my own justice because the Lord will bring about justice in this life or the next on my behalf. But I want to walk a fine line there because I think there's a tension that exists between how do we become people that don't form an identity around victimhood, but also how do we try to promote justice in this world. Because we don't want to allow ourselves to become doormats, but we also don't want to allow others the freedom to do wrong things to us and to other individuals, right? There is something to be said that there are times in life where we need to speak truth to power, and we need to stand firmly against the evils that we see. But the posture that we need to take when we do that needs to be one that is not fueled by hatred. It's not one fueled by revenge. It's not one fueled by resentment. But in fact, it's one fueled by a desire for peace to be a part of the other individual's life. Do you see the distinction there? for you to desire peace in somebody else's life. It is a hard thing to do what Paul is talking about there, to feed your enemies, to clothe your enemies. But you can't clothe and feed people that you also want to take revenge on because all you're going to be thinking about when you're pouring that stew is how could you put poison in it, right? The only way that you can truly feed somebody is if you in some ways love them. That is not endorsing bad behavior and allowing evil to now be seen as good, but rather it's taking a stance of not allowing hatred in your heart to exist towards other people. This is incredibly hard to do, but it is essential if you want peace to be a part of your life instead of allowing offense and victimhood to define your own character. You know, one of the things that has been encouraging and challenging for me and a reminder of how I, as an individual, am always trying to grow in God and how my journey is very long is becoming an Anabaptist. If you didn't know, for instance, this Tuesday, I'm going to be flying out to Kansas to have my ordination interview to go from being a licensed pastor to an an ordained pastor within our tradition. And I'm really excited about that. I'm nervous about that as well, so you could pray for me. So... 
But what I'm trying to say here is, is that as Anabaptists, we try to take a stance on peace, right? We try to think about ways to bring peace to chaos. And that has been an encouragement for my own life as I've taken the time to think more thoroughly about how God can challenge the way that I respond, big or little, to the chaos of life. I think that is what Joseph is demonstrating here in this situation. Not that what he went through was right. It was wrong. It was evil. But he did not allow that evil to penetrate his own character. Amen? And what happened as a result of that? God blessed him in his situation. It might not have been the blessing that he wanted. Really, wouldn't the most ultimate blessing be to be liberated? But it was the blessing that he needed. Because at the end of the day, our time here on earth is an opportunity to be able to be a lighthouse to others. It's an opportunity in the rough situations of life to be able to shine light on those rough situations. The reality is, is that the truth of God, in some ways, could not get to Egypt unless what? God brought somebody from Israel to Egypt. And yes, the circumstances and how that happened were terrible. But at the end of the day, God in his sovereignty used a wicked situation to bring a vessel, an instrument, Joseph, into a land and to be a light in a very dark place. And as we'll continue to learn from the life of Joseph, God uses him to be this instrument of life, not just for Egypt, but for many nations that surround him. We are church to be people of peace. And I like this quote from Menno Simons. Menno Menno Simons is how we get the name Mennonite off of his life. And he says this, we who were formerly no people at all and who knew of no peace are now called to be a church of peace. True Christians do not know vengeance. They are the children of peace. Their hearts overflow with peace. Their mouth speaks peace. And they walk in the way of peace. Is that your life? Does your life represent a person of peace? I've continued to ask this question each week because I really want that to sink in. When people come into contact with you, are they experiencing greater peace? Or are they experiencing more chaos? Because I believe that there should be a sense of peace that people experience when they encounter you. Amen? It's why ultimately, in consideration for the message for today, that we need to choose to let go of offense. That is the big idea for today. We need to choose to let go of offense. By letting go of offense, you become liberated. I'm not saying endorsing the offense or letting go of it in a way that you just allow evil to continue to exist. 
But I am saying that you do not allow that offense to form your identity and to be a seed that plants that is planted in your heart that will eventually turn towards bitterness and hatred. Because that's what happens when we allow offense to truly live in us. We need to be the kind of people that could truly love our enemies. That's what Jesus so often encouraged us to do because he understood that the only way that you can truly break down evil is that if you become a wall of goodness to others. Because ultimately, through the grace of God, your goodness, the good things that you do, the good words that you speak, the truth and the peace that you carry will overcome the darkness will overcome the evil in this world. It's why I believe that as a church, we need to uphold letting go of offense so, so much so that we take seriously these words that Paul wrote in the book of Ephesians, that we need to make every effort in Ephesians 4, 3 through 6, to make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body, one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. Ephesians 4, 3 through 6, Chris. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Church, we are to be a people of peace, a people of unity. There are plenty reasons for us to become divided, but there is a bigger reason for us to work through all the offenses that we create to remain united, and that is our Lord Jesus Christ. How can you let go of offense today? How can you become a person of peace today? Because here's the thing. I know we're three weeks into this, and I'm not letting go of stepping on your toes, but I know that this is something that is so important for us to do, to not let offense form our identity. Can you do that can you let go of an offense that you're carrying today? That's the question. And maybe the best solution to that is for us to go to prayer right now. So will you pray with me? Father, we thank you that the life of Joseph reminds us to not allow evil to corrupt us that even though there are terrible things that happen, unequivocally terrible things that we could say, this is a reason to be angry. This is a reason to be offended. I am justified in my anger that, Lord, you do not want us to remain as offended people with hatred in our hearts. Help us, Lord, to speak the truth to call out what's wrong, but not to do that through a motivation of anger and hatred, but to do that with peace 
and love in our hearts. Lord, I know that there are many of us today that can think of an offense in our own hearts that we have carried with us. And just like anything that we carry with us, we feel the weight of that in our own hearts. Lord, I know there are things that I've carried or that I am carrying with me. I pray, Father, that right now you would help us to give that to you. With everybody still praying, I want to invite you now to think of that thing that you're carrying with us. That weight that you still have held in your pocket or on your back. And I want you, during a moment of silence now, to try to work to give that to God. Maybe it feels like, Lord, I don't know how to let go, but I'm trying. And here it is. Maybe that's all you can do, and that's okay. But wherever you're at, I want us as a church to practice what it feels like to give up an offense and to let go of an offense and to trust the Lord to be the one to bring out peace and justice. So in this moment of silence, let's do that. Father, I know that that, for many people here, was a very big step, even if it felt like a small one, Lord. And I pray, Father, that you would help teach us to continue to be people who can let go of offenses, to instead, in these moments, reflect peace, love, joy, consideration towards others. Help us to be the embodiment of that, to have the strength that you have, to speak truth, but to always do it through a motivation of love. I pray, Father, that you would help us, encourage us, and do these things through the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen.